I am thankful for uh, not just skilled musicians and individuals like Michael who are aiding in this way, but I'm thankful when I get up that I don't really have to even preach. Now, I'm not saying I'm not going to, but I am thankful because the message has already been communicated through song and uh, thankful for each of those reminders uh, as we spend time together in Philippians. So turn with me to Philippians chapter 2, Philippians chapter 2. And we'll walk through just uh, this pericope, this section, next section, uh, verses 1 down through verse 11 is where we will look. We'll spend tonight and Lord willing tomorrow night uh, in this uh, text together. Uh, this text I entitled uh, this section, I Will Follow Jesus. I hope you're getting the progression, right? A pinch and a dash is not enough. Look to Christ. And then this call to follow Christ. I will follow Jesus. And really the call of the text is going to drive us to the big idea, which will uh, just simply be that abiding in Christ is what enables us to live collectively to advance the gospel. And if you've been saved for any amount of time, that language of abiding hopefully takes your mind to John chapter 15. And, uh, and if you want to know what that looks like in action, you're going to find that here in Philippians chapter 2. Uh, for there is nothing more destructive or something, nothing more difficult uh, to overcome than a gospel that is pro- professed, but not a gospel that is displayed, right? And like, listen to that again. There is nothing more damaging as far as our evangelism goes and calling others to also find uh, their faith in Christ alone. There's nothing more damaging than a gospel professed but not a gospel displayed. And I could even, I could flip that onto the positive. There is nothing more compelling, right? Than a person who's, who believes the gospel, but then also by God's kindness lives it. And again, I've been sharing my story a little bit through my parents. Uh, that fits well with the text of Philippians. But as I'm hearing your stories, as I'm interacting with you, you have parents, you have other people in your lives who have invested the gospel but also lived it out. And praise God for that, that he puts different weak people in our lives to display his might. And that really is what Paul here is getting at in chapter 2. And so Paul continues this, this theme of living in a manner that is worthy of the gospel. And he says in verse chapter 2, verse 1, read that with me. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy... Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you, verse 4, look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Then the verses you are very familiar with. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. We'll talk about that tomorrow. But literally, the because we have been placed in union with Christ, all those who by faith have trusted Christ alone possess this is the language here, right? That's yours in Christ Jesus. And then he, again, Paul does what Paul does. He speaks of Jesus, and then he has to define him further. And he says, look at who this Christ is, who though he was in the form of God, What did he do? He did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, 
or even death on a cross. Therefore, what has God done? God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. I thought that was also interesting as we've been walking through the morning, right? A name that is to be favored above all else. Well, whose name is greater than Jesus Christ, right? Like, I hate singing songs that speak about Jesus or like use things that describe him without actually naming him. Like I love singing and all of a sudden we name the name of Christ. There's no other name. And so he says, so that at the name of Jesus, what will happen? Every knee should bow in heaven and on earth, under the earth. Every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so in this passage, I'd like to draw out that truth that abiding in Christ enables us to live collectively And that's intentional because that's what the text is drawing to. Uh, Not like some, I need to live for Christ and I can just go meet God in the woods. No, no, that's not God's plan. That's not his design, right? His desire is to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ by believers who not only profess, but continue to abide in the vine. And when they do, what will happen? The true vine, who is our living hope, will continue to nourish and he, the Father will continue to prune, John 15, and we will be able to bear much fruit. Why? So that he'll get glory. That's really the application that's fleshing out here in Philippians chapter 2. Paul is doing far more than just trying to strengthen and comfort the believer. He's again encouraging them through all that they have in Christ to motivate them to do something. And I think that's, that we'll talk about that here in a bit, uh, but let me just maybe define what I'm saying here. I think oftentimes... We use terms from the New Testament and the Old. Language of knowing and language of of remembering. And for us, it becomes just a mental exercise. When the New Testament and the Old Testament use language like that, it is, yes, a mental affirmation of something that God is teaching us about himself or about us. But the knowledge that comes moves to do something. Like my dad would say that all the time to me. I would, I would do something and then my dad, I would say to my dad, 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 I know, I know, I know. Cause he's given me this speech like 50 million times. And my dad would be like, no, you don't know. I'm like, dad, I do. I know. No, you don't know. Sit down and listen. Ugh. So I'd sit there and then he'd talk. And then I'm like, I could tell you what you're going to say next, dad. And dad's like, no, dad, I know. He goes, what? So then I'd say it. He goes, but you don't know. And I'd be like, what are you talking about? And it took so long for me to get it because he was right. I knew here. But what he was saying was what he's actually saying in Philippians. And he's saying to the Philippians on the positive side, this is not true of you. Like when you say that you by faith have trusted in Christ and you have been made a co-laborer and a partaker in the gospel of Jesus Christ, this is not just something that was here. It's not just something that you're waiting to go there. It has immediate impact in the world, in, in the city of Philippi, that people could see the distinct difference that of, of these individuals who no longer followed the multiplicity of gods that they once followed, but abandoned all to follow Christ. This is this language where he is laying out the truth that we are, as we continue to abide in Christ, we are then enabled collectively to advance the gospel. And so let's pray, and then let's just walk through the beginning of this text, my I don't know if you hear, but something's going on with my voice. So I don't know how long it will last, so we'll go as long as it holds. If I, if I can't make it, I'll maybe pinch it. I'll have Danny come up, and he'll finish. So let's pray together. Father, we thank you for just the joy of being able to be together. Thank you for this collective group. What a little glimpse that we get from multiple different backgrounds, churches, different settings as we gather together 
to get a glimpse of what our Father is at work doing. Ephesians is fleshed out in so many ways here. Ephesians 1, that you are calling before the world's forever formed, that you have called a people unto yourself, that all of this is to be done to the praise of your glorious grace. And so each of us, we could sit here for, for days, weeks, months on end, sharing our stories of how you have continued to move. And I love the reality that even though our stories may sound very different, eventually those who by faith have trusted in Christ, our stories sound very similar. We come to a place where we recognize our sin, we see our need, we turn to Christ who by faith uh, has, who, who again has died and rose again, and by faith we trust him. We place our confidence in him alone. And so if there's anyone here who does not know Christ as Savior, may this week be the week in which they would humble themselves, Father, that they would recognize their sin, that the Spirit of God would convict them of sin and of righteousness and judgment to come, but that there's life in Jesus Christ, the eternal Son. And then, Father, for those of us who are believers, Father, we forget so many things that are already realities for us because we are in Christ Jesus. Aid us to live in a manner that is worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Aid us during this time by your spirit. Point us to your son. And may all of this redound to your praise. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Again, as I'm walking through this section, I will follow Jesus. Really the big idea, abiding in Christ, enables us to live collectively to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's going to really continue that thought that he has already started in 127 when he says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel. And then he says, whether I come or I'm I'm there or I'm not, it doesn't matter, right? You're going to flesh out these realities. And he's going to speak of two truths that will actually, that are already a reality in the life of the Philippian believers. He wants this to continue to abide as they, as they have fleshed out the reality that they are truly born again, right? And the first truth that we're going to look at this morning or, or this evening in Second Timothy or Second uh, or Philippians two one through four. If it was this morning, I'd have an hour, but we don't. So okay, yeah, that was a dig. I, I took that dig. Next time, I want to be the morning speaker. <laughs> but anyways, okay. So what's the first reality out of this text? Right. The reality is for each believer, there is unity through humility. I hope this is. Not just going to be an encouragement for those of you who are walking and fleshing out the gospel, but I hope in some ways it's also a challenge because this oftentimes doesn't flesh out in churches. Like we forget who we are. Like we literally are out of our minds. Like we act and do not live as those who have been redeemed and called unto Christ. And so he reminds these Philippians, this is who you are. The unity that is, it's not, we're not chasing unity, right? Unity is a product of being made into the image of the Son, that continuing to abide in the reality of all that we have in Him. And that is actually a working of the Spirit of God. I have that there, Spirit-enabled. He's going to talk about that. And again, you already heard really briefly, but that section when he talks about one Spirit, I think in the latter section of chapter 1, he's talking about the Spirit of God. And I think it's actually strengthened by this verse that will be coming up about the ministry of the Spirit of God. That not only is there unity through humility, which is one of the truths of each believer, but the ability to recall Christ's humility is also at our disposal. Think of how many different ways you and I in a calendar year are uh, enabled to remember not just the life of Christ, but his substitutionary atonement, his death on our behalf, and even the resurrection, right? Like if you're a part of a good 
faithful Baptist church um, or Bible-believing church, you participate with some regularity in the Lord's table. I hope you don't come to that time and you're like, oh, man, we got to do this again. Or like, oh, okay, here we go, right? Now we got these COVID things that are nasty. You got to peel them off, right? They're disgusting. I hope you don't think that way. Like, actually, we actually have in our church, we dedicate a whole Sunday school time to it. We don't want it to just be a side thought. Now, I'm not saying if you just tack it on, it's, you're doing it as a side thought. But I'm just saying, either way, be intentional. Like, when it's the first of the month, I want to take time with my family. I want my family to take the time to prepare as we come together. Because the Lord knows how dense we can be, right? And so he institutes different ordinances, one in a public way in which we, baptism, which we could declare the gospel to a world around us and remind us of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. That's why this doesn't work, right? This is what we do, right? But then also the ordinance that is done with regularity with the body as we gather to remember his death until when? Until he comes. And guess what? When he comes, we won't participate in it anymore. No more need. We don't need to be reminded, right? But why do we need to be reminded? Because it's so easy to be captivated by all these other things that draw us to try to find unity in all the wrong things. Unity does not come by liking the same football team. Unity does not come by divisive systems that you want everyone to submit to or your pet theology, right? Unity comes in a person. And it comes not because of anything that you and I do, but it's because what Christ has already done, Right? You can flip what my dad has been saying all those years to me. Like, did you die on the cross? And the reality is, Christ did die on the cross. He paid the penalty of sin for us. Not only to redeem us from sin, but also to call us to live unto him. That really is the point of this section. And so let's unpack this first uh, section, first point. Un- uh, unity through humility. Let's talk through that. Okay, what is what is Paul talking about here? He's really linking through this word uh, in our English. So if, right, this language of if, uh, the word if is sometimes tricky, and I don't think it's actually appropriate. Sometimes you'll hear preachers say, just translate this as since. I don't think that's actually helpful because it's, but the if word is hard for us in English because for us it does express sometimes like uh, maybe, maybe not. Okay, but he's going to use this construction if there is, and then he's going to list four things. Actually, it's linked to three of them, but in any case, there's four things that he states here. So he says, so if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort of love, any participation in the spirit, and affections and sympathies. So he lays out these four truths. And actually, if one commentator uses a language that you can do this as a conversation, like Paul is going, like, Is this a reality in the gospel of Jesus? Have you been encouraged in Christ? Have you been comforted from his love? Have you participated in the spirit or the Holy Spirit? And and is there affections and sympathy? And then as as he's asking these questions, what are the Philippians saying every time? Yes, 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 yes. Think about that. That's really encouraging. Like all of these realities are ours in Christ Jesus. If you know Christ as Savior... By the working of Jesus Christ, by the Spirit's enabling to be connected to Jesus Christ and being birthed anew, you have been, you have not only been given Jesus Christ and placed in Him, but all of these things have, you have experienced in one way, shape, or another. And really the context of the text is within the, the, uh, the body collective, that this is actually what's happening. You know, Pastor Danny has said it multiple times at the end of each service where he'll talk about these different gifts that God gives to us. 
right? Like, yeah, there is the gift of communion and the Lord's table and being able to sit under the preaching of God's word, right? And there is the gift of fluffy popcorn that's free, right? Like it is. Like these are God's kindnesses and his gifts. And so Paul here lays this out for the Philippians, reminding them of all they have in Christ Jesus. And so he starts there. So if there is, and then he lists these four uh, different realities for the believers. If there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in, in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy. Before I move into those four things, I think it is important because we sang it also in Christ alone. But that language of in Christ speaks specifically of union. Let me read you what Mount says about this section. I think it's helpful. He says, the grammar says that there is encouragement in being joined together, being joined with Christ. Any comfort from love, if you've received any comfort by the love of God lavished upon you, any participation in the Spirit, if you have experienced the power of God's Spirit, any affection and sympathy with one another, and the answer to all these is, yes, we have. Listen to what he says. Then Paul says, Complete my joy by being of the same mind. Like, if you actually assess why there is not unity within the body, if you uh, assess why you um, are not interested in co-laboring and partnering with those that God has placed uh, within your assembly, you can't change them, right? But you can assess yourself in light of the gospel. And what you will find is there's a deficiency or an offense or a sin or a, a re not reminding yourselves of one of these areas and truths that are already yours in Christ Jesus. Like, this is what I love about the gospel. Like, it's not like we're trying to, like, like Jesus got us this far, and then now, like, we got to do all these other things to get the rest of the way, right? That's not the point. He's finished it all. And the reality is that everything we need for life and godliness has given, been given to us in Christ Jesus. I would say that Philippians chapter 2, this first section, is epist what John 14 through 17, and specifically really the verses in, in chapter 16 and 17 are in epistle form where Jesus will speak of the working of the Spirit of God and the ministry of the Comforter who's going to come. And what is he going to do, right? He's going to take God's Word, and he's going to teach you all these things Jesus says concerning me. He goes, I, everything that I needed to tell you, there's more to say, but everything that I needed to and was, was given to me to steward to give to you, I've accomplished, right? And he goes, but I'm going, but don't worry. Right? Let not your heart be troubled. You remember that section? Right? He moves then from that reality to the fact that the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God, will come. A comforter of the same kind is the language. And I don't know if you're like me, because uh, you're probably not, but again, our story's a little different. I grew up in a very charismatic background, like stomping out Satan-type services. We did lots of weird stuff. In the name of Jesus, right? We didn't know. It was like, I was like 10, 12, 15, right? And so as the Lord brought us out of that background, like there's, we're thankful because everything is then governed by God's word. But at the same time, there is a tendency in our circles because we've jumped, because of such atrocities that have happened in other denominations to completely neglect or not even speak of the ministry of the Spirit of God. That's bad. Like, what are we doing? Because if, if, if it's, God the Father planned it. Jesus effected it by his coming and his death, burial, resurrection. And then we negate and we don't want to talk about the Holy Spirit. Guess what's left? You and me. And that's not good, right? 
But that's not what Paul's saying. Paul goes, look at what the Spirit of God has done. Look at what Christ has done. Look at what the Father has done. And the reality is you have all of these gospel realities that are already yours because of the reality that by faith you have been tethered and connected and made new in the Son. And so he lays this out. So he lays out these, these truths, right? So let's just walk through it very quickly. If there's any comfort in Christ, right? The word there, comfort or encourage, or I'm sorry, if there's any encouragement in Christ. The word encouragement is translated in one lexicon as comfort. In the NIV, this verse is translated, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ. If you're here and you know Christ as Savior, you've experienced this. You experience this all the time, all the time right? When your own heart condemns you, like when other people condemn you, one of the greatest privileges you and I have is to remind ourselves and go back to the reality of all that we have been given in Christ Jesus as we've been united with him. You know what? There's times when as a pastor, I'll have my congregants, members, people I've known for a long time, and they'll come and they'll make accusation. They'll be mad about something. They'll be ticked. Sometimes they're right. Sometimes I need to humble myself and and repent. Sometimes they're wrong. Sometimes they don't want to look at their own life and they just want to blame someone. And the, I tell people, actually quite regularly, I don't know what it is in our culture, but things that you'll never say and the way you'll never say it to anybody else, it seems like Christians think it's okay to say it that way to their pastor. Well, your qual- your, the qualifications, you know, demand that you have to hold it in. It's like, what? So I'm going to just blast you. Don't do that to your shepherds. They're human. Right? Like it's, it's, it's so very difficult to wait. But there are times when whether the accusations or the, I don't like this or, you know, hey, it's too cold in here. Turn it, or, or, turn the heat up. Or then you turn up one degree and then like you get all the complainers come out and they're like, ah, it's too hot in here. And it's like, you can't, there's no point five. I'm sorry. I got no, no other option. Right? And it's like you sit there and it's like so easy to let those things just crush you as a pastor. So many pastors, I have talked to so many, and not only do they have resignations letters ready in their drawer, which is so sad. If you're a pastor, don't do that. Throw it away. Don't save it on your laptop. It's foolishness. Like, we have a work to do, and we're calling our body to do that, and we're, like, ready to hand in the resignation. Stop. Don't you know what you've been given, pastors? Like, the encouragement that's come from Christ. How important for us to be reminded of this. But when that happens, you know what? If I just stay in my head and I just try to argue out the thing, it's, it doesn't go well. Like, I want to write out the resignation letter and be done. Right? Like, I'm just going to go and work, you know, at, at a secular job, punch in, punch out, and everybody leave me alone. I'm tired of all of this. And if you're a pastor in here, you resonate with that, don't you? Right? It's like, it must be nice to just punch in, punch out, and not have to worry. Because like, when do pastors punch in and punch out? If you're shepherding properly, you don't punch in and punch out, right? And so like, but you know what's actually so encouraging? Going to texts like this and starting to pray. I prayed this passage from my own heart. Lord, I have experienced through Jesus Christ and by the working of the Spirit of God, encouragement by the union I have with Christ Jesus. And I'm like, oh, okay, right? The clouds start to at least diminish a little bit. Like it doesn't make the problem go away but it helps my heart to be reminded of all that I've been given in Christ. He doesn't just speak of the encouragement that comes in Christ, but also he says, if, right, you've experienced any comfort of love. One commentator says this about that phrase. If one common experience of comfort from God's love has anything going for it at all, 
then express that same love toward me by compelling my joy, Paul is saying here, by having the same love towards one another. He's saying, you know what? You have experienced this. It's, it's used in, the, in, in elsewhere where the comfort with which we're comforted, what are we able to do? We're able to comfort others. And so he says this, you've experienced this. You've gone through this. These are realities that are already yours because the Father, by faith in Christ, has placed you in the vine, in the true vine, right? Then he goes further, not just about that, but he lays out the truth of the participation in the Spirit of God. Again, interpretationally, I think this has already been stated in, in Philippians 1.27, the believers are enabled to stand firm in one spirit, but I think what's also helpful here is that later he is going to use this same phrase to speak to, um, to the, to the Iodia and Syntyche, the same idea within this section of the text for them to have this kind of same mind by the same spirit of God. Because there were these two ladies who were at odds with one another, right? And he's saying, listen, you're not only born again under Christ, but the Spirit of God has forgiven you the same ability to have the same mind. My mom would use that expression to us all the time. When suffering would happen, it may not be exactly the same, but my mom would be like, you know what? I know this is different than this situation, but you know what? Suffering, suffering. Same, 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 same. That's the thing what he's saying. Same, same. Like, you've experienced it. And, and what do we do? When somebody, we want our suffering to be really unique. Like, you don't understand. And Paul's going, no, you don't understand. God's, again, he did this already. He's already bestowed it to you. He's doing something. He's given you avenues that others may not have. But he places those situations and circumstances before you so that you can use them to advance the cause of Christ. And when it's easy or when it's when you slip into so fixating on the temporal things and the suffering that's before you, remind yourself of these truths, of everything you have in Christ Jesus. You have been made a partaker with Christ Jesus by the Spirit of God. You have experienced encouragement through the union with Christ. You have, you have been comforted in love. You have experienced affection and sympathy that come from the persons of the Godhead. And so what does he say? He again will say this to Odia and Syntyche, but in verse 2 he says, complete my joy. Right? Paul's desire, he's in prison, and the Philippians themselves are encouraging Paul even through the life in which they're living, the gospel that not only they affirm in their minds, but they live out by the grace of God. He says, complete my joy by being again of the same mind. Same, same, right? Having the same love. Same, same, right? Like, like you and I do not, like the experiences may be different, but the one who gives us the love and the one who gives us the comfort is the same God, Father and Spirit, Right? And so this is what he says. He says, have the same mind, have the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. The language of completing here, complete my joy, uh, has the idea in one lexicon, it has the idea to make something total or complete. And so Paul here is not being self-centered, but he's calling the Philippians to live as those who have found their joy in Christ by God's grace, which has resulted in peace with God in verse 1-2. One, one, in so doing, they will flesh out the gospel no matter the circumstances and live for Christ and not self, both individually but also collectively. This will be marked in the genuine believer who strives without fear, empowered by the Holy Spirit, and affirmed by God himself. And what will result then is that Paul's joy 
will be strengthened to hear of his spiritual children walking in the truth. Right? So I'll give you, I'll, let me illustrate this. So I have multiple different people I've invested my life in um, and discipled. There's two young men, one named Aaron and one named Mo, completely different backgrounds. They came to our church right when they were about 13 years old. They were two of the tallest boys, even as juniors in my, in my youth group. They towered over me very quickly, and then they still tower over me because that's what happens, right? They get tall. And so um, I just poured my life from 13 all the way into their college years. They both went off to Bible college. They're married now. They have children. And, and the, uh, we would touch base at different points. I would get a phone call. I'd get a text. We're actually on a text thread together, kind of sharing what God's doing, what, what they're learning, struggles. And I would say this to them every once in a while when I would talk to them or I'd see them. Every once in a while, God would give us opportunity all three of us get together or maybe two of us get together. And I would say to them, man, I spent like almost a decade pouring the gospel of Jesus Christ into your life, not just by word, but by life. Like they came over to my house, like we've watched Final Four games, we've eaten so much food, we've eaten so much barbecue, right, because I like to smoke meat, right? And so like we, we've done tons of stuff, we've gone on missions trips, we've interacted, and, and I, I would say this to them, I would say to them, listen, you're down here in Florida, and you're over here in Madison, Wisconsin, and I'm really thankful, and I'm really thankful that you're such a blessing to both of your churches, but it sure would be nice to have one of you as adults ministering alongside me so I can have some of the fruit of the sowing, right? Now, I would tease them. It's not like I'm trying to leave, have them leave good churches. But by God's kindness, he's actually allowed one of them to come. Well, why am I sharing this illustration? I'm sharing it because there were times in ministry during those years when they were off at college and I was pastoring where it was almost eerie the moments that I would get a text from them. Like they would be sharing something God would teach them or they were just asking for prayer requests or they would just reach out for a phone call, which guys are really bad at, right? Communicating. And these two boys were really bad at it, but at random times it would come. And it would come at the most eerie of times because it was times when I was I felt under attack. Like maybe I wasn't doing that well. And the Lord, by his kindness, would use these individuals that like Paul as he's in prison, in the midst of trial and difficulty, to hear of the Philippians, who not only are participants and co-laborers, but they're fleshing out this reality of the gospel of Christ. They who have experienced encouragement in Christ, the right, comfort of love, right, the participation in the Spirit of God, affections and sympathy. It's so fun because what ends up happening is what happens with Paul and the Philippians, what happens with me and Mo and Aaron, is that for, one, for a while, you're the one investing in this direction. And then guess what happens? Oh, God uses them to encourage you. Like, that's, like when that happens, it's so fun. And some of you as parents who have grown children, you get this, right? It's like you have this child that you're pouring into, you're investing in, you're calling them to live out the gospel. And oftentimes, isn't it just a simple word or knowing that they're walking in the faith and continuing to abide in Christ that God uses that to strengthen you in the midst of difficulty? This is what Paul's saying. And like we need these moments because God knows we're frail. He knows that we're weak. And so Paul reminds these believers of these truths, these, this, these, this unfolding of all of these realities that even flesh into the next section uh, are those statements that are already true, not only in Paul's life, but also in the believer's life as well. They are enabled to have the same mind. They are enabled to have the same love. They are enabled to be of full accord and of one mind 
because of the working of the Spirit of God through the gospel of Christ. So what does this look like? What does this look like? Verse 3 and 4. It looks like this. Fleshed out as you're reminding yourselves of all of that you have in Christ Jesus. He says, do nothing for selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Let each, in verse 4 of you, look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Paul uses one negative, but then Paul also uses two positives to be able to flesh out what this looks like by God's grace. He starts first off with this language of the negative side. He says, if this is true and you're continuing to call to mind all of these realities in Christ Jesus, he goes, don't live for your own ambition. Self-ambition is actually that which kills humility. You heard me say it a couple messages ago that I say to my body all the time. There are two realities in the New Testament that if you don't understand, you will not grow like God desires for you to grow. And the first one is who we are in Christ Jesus, position. Right? We are in Christ. Nothing shakes that. If by faith you've trusted Christ, that does not change. Right? You are in Christ Jesus. Here's the other one. Life's not about you and me. We see that in the life of Christ. Like Jesus does not live for his own will, but he lives to please the one who has sent him. Like Actually, the gospel writers are so specific that not only does Jesus do the will of the Father, but he even speaks only the words that the Father wants him to speak. Like That's amazing. He has come, and his desire is to show the world who the Father is, right, in the flesh, but also to be able to walk in a manner that does the will of the one who has sent him. He says that as a, remember the story of Jesus being left behind in the temple? What does he say to his parents? Like, where else would I be? I'm doing the will of the Father, right? Like, I'm in my Father's house. He has a zeal for the house of God. And you see this over and over and over again in the gospel writings. And like, this is, this is, if this is the reality in the life of Christ, how much more so in our lives? And yet you look at our lives and oftentimes we not only forget that we are in Christ Jesus, but it again doesn't even take that much to grab the reins back and be like, ah, I'm going to live for me. Right? You know what happens? It happens in like, like squinny ball. It happens in gaga ball. It happens in volleyball. It's like will of self, right? It's like all you care about is yourself. But on the positive side, when the gospel gets a hold of you, it also fleshes out in beautiful ways, doesn't it? You know, it looks like, it looks like, um, it lo- I saw it today on the volleyball court. It, it looks like a team trying to win, right? And, and they're, they're like diving for stuff and I'm watching them and I'm like, man, that looks exhausting, right? But you know, it looks like, it looks like, hey, listen, there's this other individual who wants to play and they're not very good, but come on, come in and play. Like, I love that. There's like these little little squirts out there. And they're like, you know that when the ball comes to them, they're going to be like, boink, and it's going to go like, dook, and you're just going to lose a point. And, but you know what? It's a reflection of the gospel, right? Again, it can go both ways because then when they're in there and it doesn't go so well, you're like, right? But the reality is as you remind yourself of what the Father is doing and what he's actually putting upon the platter before you to be able to use that platform for his purposes, Oh man, it transcends winning IRBC volleyball. Like, what is that? Like, my, my sons will do that. Well, well we're going to win the Mac soccer tournament. I'm like, yeah, at the end of the day, do you know what it is? Listen, listen very carefully to what you're saying. You want to be the champions of the Minnesota Association of Christian Schools. Like, whoop de doo, right? <laughs> It's like faith. I talk to the faith students and they're like, oh, we got to beat our rivals. At the end of the day, listen, you are the NCCAA. 
there's one too many C's, right? Like, who cares? And yet we use all of these platforms, and all we do is we, it's an avenue for me to consume my own flesh. And Paul reminds them, that's not you. Don't do that. Set aside selfish ambition, but rather let the humility that comes as you are in Christ Jesus to be produced in you. And you know in that day and age, I don't have time to go into all the cultural background, but you know in that day and age, humility was not something that was championed in Philippi. (laughs) It was a sign of weakness. And actually, I would say we reflect that quite a bit today in our culture. Humility is no longer uh, in, in vogue at all, right? Like eat or be eaten is more the culture that we live in. And so Paul here reminds them that that's not who you are, that that's not what you're living for, that at the end of the day, if you're striving and you're living in a manner that is self-consuming, guess what? You are not going to advance the gospel. You're not reminding yourself of everything you have that he's already laid out in Christ Jesus. Like, that's not just for the kids. That's for us. I need that as a parent. Because sometimes the goal is not the gospel, even as a pastor. You know what? Sometimes and a lot of times the goal is everybody stop talking. I need quiet, right? It's like, like you're the master of your domain, really. Like I remember reading a parenting book that was written um, by, a, uh, by a couple, and one of, uh, they were a homeschooling family, and I think they had seven or eight kids a lot of kids, a lot of kids. Anyways, but in the book, the lady was expressing the fact that uh, the, all this noise was going on in her house. It was so noisy, and all she wanted was quiet. And then she actually let the gospel get a hold of her, and she realized it wasn't actually that it was that loud, but there was like eight children in that space, and they were all talking at a normal level and realized, wait a second, who chose to have this many children? Like, I remember sitting there reading that, and I, like, I literally did this. I folded it up and put it down. I didn't want to read it. That was so convicting. I was like, Dah. I'm sure it was not at normal level. Like, I literally had the conversation with that. I opened it back up. I started reading it again, and I remember thinking, yeah, but these kids aren't choice. Choice are loud. Like, I literally had that conversation with myself. And I'm sitting there, and it's like, and then as I finished the, 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 that book, and this was many years ago, I remember just praying and thanking the Lord for such a simple illustration that reminded me again of how self-centered I can be, how self-willed I can be. But that's not who we are. We're not dead in our sin, right? Remember, did you die for yourself? But guess what? Christ did die. He did. Did you forget that? And guess what? He rose again. Like Everything is made new in Christ Jesus. And so he reminds us of this. And so again, he calls them to live out this reality. Instead of living as ones who are self-ambitious, he then calls them to the realities, the next two realities, where he will say in verse, verse at the end of verse 3, but in humility, count others more significant than yourself, that each of you look not on your own interests, but also on the interests of others. Um, the um, Maybe I can, I'll just read First Peter 5.5 5 for you. He's he, in Peter puts it this way, likewise, you who are younger, be subject to elder, uh, the elders. Clothe yourself, all of you, with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud, but what does he do? He gives grace to the humble. We're not just, again, I, I said this when I preached through John 1 uh, here on this platform, but sometimes I look at the qualities of what the gospel produces. Peace, grace, you know, 
love, long suffering. And I said to the, I said to the, I said to the group that morning or that evening, I said, we're not, it's not like Pokemon. And some of you are old enough to know what Pokemon is, right? If you don't know, ask your parents or go look it up. Well, don't look it up. It's really a waste of time. Okay. But it's like this Japanese cartoon and they're trying to catch all these little monsters in this little trap. If you're old enough, think Ghostbusters, but circle, right? And it's like, like the, what's the goal of Pokemon? Pokemon is, I gotta catch them all. And I think sometimes our Christian faith is like that. We treat the qualities and the realities of the gospel as if they're all these things that we need to catch. But that's not actually the point of John 1. John 1 actually reminds us that you wanna know what full grace looks like, you wanna know what full truth looks like, it's already in Jesus. And so you want, this is what Paul here is saying. And so Paul's actually like flipping it on the other way. And he's saying, this should be fleshed out as you remind yourself of all that you have in Christ Jesus. And then he's going to go and use the illustration of the life and the enfleshment and the incarnation and the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He's going to use that. And then even his glorification, even the, even the reality of that, that there's coming the day where at the, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and tongue will confess. But that hasn't happened yet. And so what actually will produce unity is believers who continue to remind themselves of everything that they have in Christ Jesus, the union that has come, continuing to abide in the true vine, and as they do, what will produce? Self-ambition will be set aside. They will desire to live to please um, the one who has called them, not living under themselves, but actually desiring to, to meet the needs of those that are around them. Verse 4 says again, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also into the interests of others. I don't think what Paul's saying in the end of 3 and end of 4, I don't think what he's saying is that you are to think of yourself as less than somebody else, right? We're all image bearers. We're all saved by grace. But what he is saying is, even though you are same, same, right? All image bearers redeemed by the grace of God, allow yourself to take that posture for the gospel's sake, right? To humble yourself. Like how different would our churches be if pastors lived this out, reminding themselves of all they have in Christ? How different would it be? Remember, he was not just addressing the overseers, but the deacons. It drives me crazy when I hear about churches that are deacon, like run churches, like you're employed by, what are you talking about? Do you not know the gospel deacons? Listen, these people, these pastors are not there to do your bidding. They're not. They're here to do the bidding of the one who has called them to that role. And yes, they're flawed men and their, their wives are flawed. And, and pastors, again, you're not lording over the deacons, but how different would it be if we'd all remind ourselves of this reality? And guess what? Regularly, you're all hopefully given the opportunity and taking the opportunity to remind yourself of what Christ has done for you. Because you take the bread, you take the cup, and you eat it, and you drink it. And you remember the Lord's death till he comes. But then what happens afterwards? Well, the pastor, he did this, and I don't like that. Who cares if you don't like that? Well, congregants. What did he say at the beginning? Look at what we all have, collective. Here's an applicational truth. I know we like to think of ourselves better than others, but guess what? We have far more in common with each other than we really want to admit right? The comparison of scripture calls us to compare ourselves to the Father, to the Son, and to the Spirit. And when we do that, guess what is produced? <sighs> right? <laughs> Reminding us of all that we've been given. Paul, one author says this, that Paul recognizes that the key to joy consists in shifting our attention away from ourselves and onto the needs of others. 
And so, so um, Fee says this. He says he defines humility in terms of action, not just in thought. So we are, again, not people who are making unity the goal. Anytime you chase after uh, everyone and, ev- and like take surveys, like I-, I heard about the camp and then at the end of it, it's good, you t- put out a survey. But that, like, that survey could be detrimental to the leadership because then you're just driven. I'm not saying don't do it. That's not my point. Okay, it's helpful. But like the source matters. When you look at that, like I tell my people, my guys, when they, they'll come to me and they'll be like, well, somebody said, I'm like, don't say that. Tell me who said it. Tell them that you're going to tell me who said it. <laughs> They're like, like, they didn't like that when I first started that. I'm like, because source matters. Because like this person's saying it and this person's saying it, they might be saying the same thing, but this carries way more weight, right, than this person's saying it. And so it's like, we like anonymity. We like to be able to just be like, somebody said. Who cares what somebody said? Because this is what Jesus said. This is what God's word says, right? Like, stop living to advance your own cause. How much better for us? How much more full? How much more full for all of us as pastors, as deacons, as those saints that have been called out as holy ones? How much better for us to use every opportunity God affords us, whether we deem it good or bad, as a good gift from a kind God so that we can use it to be made more like the Son, but to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ, making him known. One author Uh, Gerald says this, in sum, Christians at Philippi have a responsibility to keep together in unity, really uh, uh, born out of their shared possessions and their fellowship and stated objective realities, both personal and qualitative. That's worth rallying around. Rather, Christ is worth rallying around to be reminded of all that we have been given in Christ Jesus that really the true obstacle, one author says, to unity is not the presence of legitimate differences of opinion, but self-centeredness. I think that's what Dr. Little said, right? Even this morning about husbands and wives. We want to make the problem the other person. Reread Song of Songs, that first verses. If you walked out of here going, yeah, my husband, he stinks. He's the reason. Then ladies, you weren't listening to the first verse. The first or second verse, the first two was saying, man, I desire him. I long for him, right? Like his lips and mouth, like, whoa, that's great. But he, it's, it's wonderful language. It really is. And if you didn't walk out of here as a woman going, man, I don't, that's not true. Hopefully, like he said, you're the problem, right? I tell counseling, in counseling, it's, this is like the, one of the hardest um, things to counsel people. Like they come in and they just want you to fix the other person if they're even willing to come in. And like getting them and hearing the story, listening and being able to intake everything. But eventually at some point, this is where I get. I get to the place where I think, okay, do you agree that your problem is not him and your problem is not her? And if I can't get past that biblical principle, it's so impossible to change anything. I think your greatest problem is who? You. Your greatest problem is who? You. If they get there, I'm like, okay, we have hope. We have hope. There is hope. And so here within the language, Paul reminds them, and he does it really through the negative, but also through the positive, reminding the Philippians of all they have. Now he's going to get to all of the imperatives that are coming in three and four. But before he gets there, look at what he does. Church, or uh, church, guys who are part of churches, right? You too have experienced the same thing. If you're in Christ Jesus, 
by faith, you too have experienced the encouragement that's in Christ. You too have experienced this comfort of love. You too have continually experienced the participation of the Holy Spirit of God, the third person of the Trinity. I wish I could have parked there longer, right? Study it out. You too have been impacted by affection and sympathy that come from Christ Jesus. As we remind ourselves of those truths, it will give us true gospel eyes to see. And what will actually result is that we will not live unto ourselves, but as we abide in Christ, we will be enabled both individually but also collectively to advance the gospel. May God aid us to do that. Let's pray. Father, as we close our time this evening, as we'll be reminded in the next section, our goal is not unity. Unity is the byproduct of the reality of all that we possess in Christ Jesus. We've been given these realities by faith for those who have confessed Christ as Lord, turned from their sin to Christ alone. And so aid us, Father, to not be those who would simply keep this as an intellectual task, but the Father would move us to live in a manner that our day-to-day life, our moment-by-moments will be impacted. Help the moms in here. Help the wives who look at their husbands, look at their children, and oftentimes just see burden and difficulty and struggle. Help the dads. Help them as they look at their spouse, their wives, and they look at their children, as they look at their whatever, both of them, occupationally. Father, help them not to find their identity there, but to find their identity continually in Christ Jesus. Help them to take responsibility individually, but then also collectively as churches to call us to remembrance. Call each other to remind ourselves of all that we have been given in Christ Jesus. And as you produce the unity in you, Father, may we advance your name and may your name be glorified. May Christ be made known. May the Spirit use his word. May God be honored. In Christ's name, amen.